song, The Mother Bird, it's an image that Jesus uses uh, that God is like a mother hen who uh, hides us in the shadow of her wings. And so we praise God for that image this morning that we are uh, gathered under the wings of God and we find safety there. Let's pray together. Oh God, we want to hear a word from you. So open our hearts and speak through me and help me to get out of the way so that your way might be known and your love proclaimed. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, we're in a series called Jesus and the Lorax, and so uh, I thought it was wise to read the Lorax for the first time uh, this week. And I'm grateful to Dr. Seuss for his winsome and whimsical writing and grateful for the story. And as I read it, three things stood out uh, for me. First, the importance of moderation. You know, it's interesting that if the Wunzler had stopped cutting down just some of those trees or had decided to plant some new trees, this story would have been different. But the wholesale destruction of the trees changed the landscape. It drove all the animals away. Moderation is a virtue in all aspects of our lives. So maybe a question for you to ponder this morning is, what is God calling you to moderate? Second, the importance of keeping our eyes open. Most days I walk near the office around Lake Wire, and this week as I walked around Lake Wire, I noticed how many dead tree stumps there were, about a dozen or so. Now, thankfully, there's a lot of other trees around the lake that offer shade to the path. But my eyes saw things differently because I had read the Lorax. It helps me pay attention to different things. What is God calling us to see in a new way? Open our eyes, O God, that we might see. And third... I was struck by the willingness of the Lorax to give voice to the voiceless. What if the Lorax had not given his voice to the trees and the animals? And who is God calling you and me to give voice to, to be a voice to the voiceless? In addition to the Lorax, I want to spend some time reflecting on an encounter that Jesus had with a well-respected Jewish leader named Nicodemus. And so we're reading today from John uh, chapter 3, and I'm going to begin with the first verse. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. 
You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. You don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you, your people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in the name of God's one and only Son stands condemned because they have not believed in the name of God's Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But those who live by the truth come into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What a wonderful story of a man, Nicodemus, going to see Jesus in the middle of the night to have this conversation. And as you know, it's includes in this one of the most famous scripture passages, John 3.16. And Jesus uses an image in this passage that we are to be born again, born anew, born from above. And one thing to note here is when we think about people who need to be born again, we often think it's for people who are in need of some emotional or, or moral change. Be very clear, Nicodemus was one of the elite of his day. He was a leader. He was supposed to have it all figured out. And even Nicodemus needed to be born again. So why did Nicodemus come to Jesus that night? Part of it for Nicodemus was probably just plain curiosity. I want to see what this man is all about. Sure, he heard about Jesus and how Jesus had turned water into wine, how he had chased the money changers out of the temple. He would have been more interested than simply uh, because he and Jesus were in the same line of work. I always pay attention when a, a preacher is in the news, especially if he's, he or she's doing some unusual things. I read the story, right? So part of it was curiosity. I can also understand Nicodemus slipping out at night in the way that he did to have a little chat with Jesus. The story doesn't say why he came in the middle of the night. Some believe because he wanted to have some uninterrupted time where there wouldn't be any crowds to distract them. Others think that he went at night so that none of the other rabbis would see that he was talking to this crazy rabbi. In the middle of the night, this encounter with Jesus. And as you know, uh, there was a lot going on for Nicodemus. 
the feeling you get that he was beginning to wonder why his system wasn't working out. I mean, this wasn't just a good guy. Nicodemus was a really good guy. A kind of Pharisee's Pharisee. Not only did he know and teach all the rules and regulations, he lived by them. And probably with very little error or mistakes. He was doing all the right things. All the things that you're supposed to do. And yet somehow... He wasn't finding the life, and he was, wasn't able to find the, the life that God had given to him. Jesus knew all this before Nicodemus even spoke a word, and so thoroughly ignoring uh, his sort of obligatory compliment that Nicodemus shared, uh, practically cutting Nicodemus off mid-sentence, Jesus says, you don't know anything about me. You don't have a prayer of understanding me or the life I've come to give until you're born again. That's my paraphrase, of course, but I'm pretty sure that's exactly what he was saying. Again, in that kind of straightforward, no-spin, compelling way of love Jesus used. In Nicodemus' uh, literal, almost biological hearing of what Jesus had said, how's that possible, he said? You can't take an old man and go back into a mother's womb. That response gives Jesus the chance to describe and teach some of the most important truths in this whole book. First, the fact that this present reality is not the only reality there is. This present reality is not the only reality there is. A few years ago, our our pastor from Cuba was visiting the church where I was serving in South Florida, and so I took him to the Galleria Mall in Boca Raton. Yes, you can call me one of the last big spenders, right? (laughs) And I don't know, partly because I know how little they have in Cuba, and partly because I'm sure uh, in the present economic time we're in, the only way I know to describe it is it just seemed like everything was thin to me. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with malls or having things, that everything material is bad or anything like that, but it just felt thin. Like maybe for way too long, we've had our sights set far too low. That we focused only or mostly on the things that we can touch and feel and measure and quantify. That we've spent billions and billions of dollars chasing beauty and youth and even health. Have you noticed just how much the ads on TV are for some kind of new drug that's going to enhance uh, or prolong your life somehow? I just had this nearly overwhelming feeling that we spent a disproportionate amount of our time, our money, and our energy chasing after a reality that cannot last and that frankly was never meant to. And I think a similar thing, with different detail of course, was settling in on Nicodemus that night. I think he was realizing as he listened there in the presence of Jesus that even though he was doing good and right things, even though he was playing by all the rules, his life was thin. He wasn't really alive. He didn't know how to live in that never-ending kingdom reality Jesus would spend so much of his time here on earth describing a reality filled with God's presence God's love, God's peace, God's joy. You ever felt like you weren't really alive? That even though you do good and right things and you play by all the rules, that there's something missing? 
Jesus says the solution is for you to be born again. To not just really get it uh, in, in your head, but to own it with the embrace of your heart. You have to be born of God's Spirit in a way that gives life that nothing else can give. Now, when Jesus saw Nicodemus wince, I suspect in confusion, uh, Jesus said, it's not something you can control. It's like the wind. It blows where it wants to blow. You can hear it, but you can't tell where it's coming. You can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Well, clearly, still confused, Nicodemus says, yeah, but how is that possible? And I have a feeling he's still wondering about that because he knows not only in other people, but even in his own life, his comparatively squeaky clean life, he knows just as Jesus makes crystal clear a few verses later, that second, people love the darkness. We try to hide, don't we? We try to hide our sins from God, which keeps us from the very life we seek. This book is clear that we need to confess our sins to one another so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be set free. But we, we love the darkness. Dallas Willard uh, writes about this two-and-a-half-year-old little girl named Larissa who discovered one day as she was playing in her yard how to make mud, which she called warm chocolate. Her grandmother, facing the other way, reading a book, turned to check on her, saw what a mess that she'd made, cleaned her up, turned her chair to face her granddaughter now, and told her not to make any more warm chocolate. Well, Larissa, as some of you would immediately know, went right back to her warm chocolate routine, right? Only this time, with a little request, posed as sweetly as a -a two-and-a-half-year-old can say it, don't look at me, Nana, okay? <laughs> Nana, being a little codependent, as Willis writes, agreed to her request, which means, of course, Larissa went right on making her warm chocolate, pausing three times as she could to say, don't look at me, Nana. And then Willis writes this, thus the tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is that we be unobserved in our wrongdoing. Anytime we choose to do wrong or to withhold doing right, we choose hiddenness as well. It may be that one out of all the prayers that are ever spoken, the most common one, the quietest one, the one that we least acknowledge making is simply this. Don't look at me, God. It was the very first prayer spoken in the Garden of Eden. God came to walk in the garden to be with them and the woman, the man and the woman, and called, Where are you? I heard you in the garden, Adam answered, and I was afraid, so I hid. Don't look at me, God. That's what people are saying to me, Jesus says, in effect, to Nicodemus. Don't look at me. I'm light, The kind that reveals your sin and your brokenness and your darkness in a way that makes you think you have to run away. Darkness has an interesting way of changing us. None of us like to think of ourselves as having darkness. We would rather talk about our light. But the truth is, all of us have places where we say, don't look at me, God. 
Where are those places for you? You think the onceler said, don't look at me, God? So what's the solution? Where do we go from here? Jesus meets this curious man, Nicodemus, who believes there's more to life and understands there are things about him that are not right and with a come and see option that changes his life forever. The reality, Jesus says, is that there's another option, one that is infinitely superior to hiding in fear, one that has the power to give the very life people want that Nicodemus was searching for. For God so loved the world... Jesus says that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world. God sent his son in the world not to condemn it, Jesus says, but for the exact opposite purpose that the whole world Everybody who trusts, everyone who believes in him could find the life that they were created at birth to find. That they would not, that they would be able to live spiritual lives. The life Jesus has in mind is life that is absolutely brimming with vitality and purpose driven and filled with meaning and a sense of wholeness and peace that only God can give. Anybody here want that? Anybody want to be saved from a life of curiosity, of living in darkness? The profound reality, which is beyond our understanding and absolutely clear in Scripture, is that God hearts, God, God's heart longs for a relationship with you and with me. He longs to be in relationship with us. This story uh, from Chuck Colson made it come alive to me this week. A man he calls Mr. Amber Crombie invited Chuck Colson to speak one time at a Bible study at his house. There was 19 other guys there, all of them movers and shakers in the business world. At some point in the talk, Colson referred to our sinful nature, and he thought he might have touched a nerve since he saw several of the guys shift uncomfortably in their big leather chairs. He was right, because when they got to the Q&A time, The first question out of the box was about sin. You don't believe we are sinners, do you? I mean, you're too sophisticated to be one of those hellfire and brimstone fellows, one older gentleman said. Intelligent people don't go for that backcountry preacher stuff. Yes, sir, Colson replied. I believe we are desperately sinful. What's inside of each of us is really pretty ugly. In fact, we deserve hell and would get it, but for the sacrifice of Christ for our sins. Mr. Amber Comby himself now looked distressed. Well, I don't know about that, he said. I'm a good person. I have been all my life. I go to church and I get exhausted spending all my time doing good works. The room seemed particularly quiet and 20 pairs of eyes were trained on Colson. If you believe that, Mr. Amber Comby, and I hate to say this for you certainly won't invite me back, you are... For all your good work, further away from the kingdom than the people I work with in prison who are aware of their own sins. Someone at the end of the table coughed. Another rattled his coffee cup. And a flush quickly worked its way up from beneath Mr. Amber Comby's starched white collar. In fact, gentlemen, Colson said, 
if you think about it, we are really no more like Jesus than the worst of sinners. Now there was this stony silence until someone changed the subject. When lunch ended and Colson was preparing to leave, Mr. Amber Comby took his arm. He led Colson down the corridor to an empty office. As soon as we were inside, he said bluntly, I don't have what you have. I know, Colson replied, but you can. God is touching your heart right now. No, no, he took a step back. Maybe sometime. Colson pressed a little bit more, and before too long, they were both on their knees. Colson goes on to say that Mr. Ambercombe asked God in that moment to forgive him of his sins and to give him the kind of life only Jesus is able to give. The truth is, that's what we need. And it means admitting that we live in darkness, but we want to live in the light. Jesus couldn't be any clearer. Right in this encounter with Nicodemus, simply because he knows the stakes couldn't be any higher, he couldn't be any clearer that love in the very form of Jesus has come into the world with one unmistakable purpose, that by believing in him, trusting yourself to his forgiveness and grace, you might have life. Life that begins right now, today, and that will never come to an end. It's interesting, John doesn't really tell us what happened to Nicodemus. We do see him two other times in the gospel. One, to defend Jesus in front of his peers, and then at the very end of the story to provide the spices for Jesus' birth, I mean death, his burial. Evidence to many people that Nicodemus, like Mr. Abercrombie and millions others, decided to trust not himself, but trust Jesus for the life only Jesus can give. What about you? Who are you trusting, really? Who are you putting your life in? In whose hands are you putting your life? I wonder what you might say if you went to Jesus in the middle of the night. What question you might have. What he might say to you. I believe Jesus is wanting to take all of us by the hand and say, come and see. Come and see this life I've created you for. And part of what he wants to show you is this new life that is possible only through his grace. Remember, Nicodemus wasn't the person who you would have thought would needed an encounter with Jesus. According to his culture, he had it all figured out. He wasn't down and out on the outside, but on the inside, something needed to change. It needed to change for Nicodemus. It needed to change for the onceler. It needs to change for us. Can you relate to that? Do you need something in your life to change? Even if you have known Jesus for some time, do you want new birth? To be born again? Do you want new light shining in the darkness and rescuing us from this reality to take us to something totally different? Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. And I'll show you this new life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So glad you came to join us today for worship. I hope you've been lifted up and reminded of God's love 
and God's grace that surrounds us, go forth into the world with your eyes wide open, seeking to see things differently and to be a voice to the voiceless, seeking to live in the light and to let God shine his light into the world through you. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God going with you, giving you everything you need to have life abundantly now and forever. Amen.